0: Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. Today you are listening to Season 2, Episode 14, The Fast and the Furious Franchise Part 2. We are doing movies 6 through 10, plus Hobbs and Shaw the spinoff. So let's jump into that now. Now, if you listen to the first part of the Fast and the Furious franchise episode, which was, I believe, one episode previous, uh, possibly two episodes previous, actually. Uh, There are, I'm working on so many things I can't keep track at this point, I would have to look at the catalog, I believe it's two episodes, I did the Aeon Flux and the Osmosis Jones episode in between. These episodes are going to be long, so fasten your seatbelts and let's have some Fast and the Furious fun. So if you listened along Last Time, we got through the first five movies, and we're going to be starting with Fast and the Furious 6 2013. Uh, What I call Fast and the Furious 6 retcons everywhere. But let's uh, jump into the plot here a bit now. As we pull up for Fast and Furious 6, we are greeted with the birth of Brian and Mia's baby. As Dom and Elena, Brian and Mia begin their new lives of peace and family. And meanwhile, Hobbs uh, he's you know, they introduce his new kick ass partner Riley, played by the now canceled Gina Carano. Uh, some people just don't know when to stop talking for their own good, and that is all I'll tell you about that, who spoiler alert is actually a bad guy in the movie, which I will give credit where credit is due. I did not see that coming. They actually fooled me uh with that twist, which usually the double cross is a bit obvious for myself, and uh not this time. Very well done, you know. They they deserve the credit. Now, in the ever-expanding FFCU which i will continue to call it until it catches on the fan the fantastic you know, the fast and furious cinematic universe well it is fantastic we can add an extra f uh there are uh, more characters being introduced and more retcons being introduced. That's why I call it retcons everywhere. Uh, as we meet Owen, the first Shaw clan member to go up against the family. And uh, he has his own group of precision per- precision drivers. And um, they have filled the space where... The beloved Toretto clan once held the throttle before going into retirement, and to get Dom and the crew back in the game, Hobbs come comes with this shocking revelation to Dom that Letty is alive. Yes, Sound effects. You know, like they uh, they they played that card and they brought back Michelle Rodriguez for her role as Letty uh, for the sixth movie, and that's the first retcon of the Fast and the Furious six. Uh, and there's there's gonna be more Um, now we get a pretty decent explanation the standard for this type of retcon we never saw her die you know technically and in a flashback to the events that preceded the fourth film of Letty's demise that final shot wasn't actually aimed at her and uh, she was thrown down the hill in the explosion and after she recovers she has no memory obvious trope and for good measure Shaw was working with Braga from the previous film again from the fourth film and was sent to finish her off in the hospital but when he realizes she has no memory he decides she's more useful than alive Uh, a choice which would obviously not pay off too well though for them and actually come to think of it when Letty does change size she doesn't actually mess up shaw's plan though come to think of it she just kind of jumps ship after she realizing that like he's an ass and she doesn't want to die on a stupid tank which we'll we'll get to that which actually let's, let's let's talk about that now it's actually one of the best superhero moments of the franchise it's kind of like one of those pivotal moments of the franchise honestly it's a moment that i threw my arms up and i just accepted that dom had tapped into the family force uh, that's this that's flash reference if you're familiar with the speed force um the like it's now its own like amazing power force, and he's becoming Captain Fucking America of muscle cars. And he jumps out of his car in a power slide right before it crashes, which propels him across a chasm directly into Letty, who is about to free fall into uh, you know said chasm in oblivion. As he heroically embraces her in his arms, as this momentum pushes them back sa- to safety over the chasm, and they land on the hood of the car because apparently no matter how far you jump or fall if there is a car there to break your fall you can just walk that shit off like <laughs> the, the 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 logic here is absolutely hilarious which though i, I say that funnily enough it's it, technically accurate you have to give you have to, i have to I have to actually admit that i read an article about a window washer who fell 11 stories and landed on the roof not not the hood but the roof and the way the the roof crumpled around him on the impact Act, impact actually saved his life. So I mean if there was a mythbusters we would you know have to give this like a plausible for that one like if you're falling 11 stories aim for the top of the car, you know, these you know little li- limited options <laughs> which was actually funny when I thought about it. Um shockingly this big tank sequence and the death defying superhero catches wasn't even the final battle of this movie. Um for that we leave uh highways behind and we headed over to the world's largest airport, home to the longest goddamn runway in existence, according to internet folk who are much savvier than I am with numbers, and they did their own calculations based on like approximate car speed and and you know duration of the scene and the runway and all that. And they they by their calculations it had to be 18 to 28 miles or for us Canadian folk it was 29 to 46 kilometers long and for those wondering because I know I was, the average ro- runway is actually about 8,000 feet which is only about 1.5 miles or 2 kilometers so that, that entire ending of the movie would have happened in like 54 seconds if it was only uh, 8,000 8, feet long um, now all that said the plane ending is, is an amazing it's epic Uh, the bad guys get stomped in you know the satisfactory way and I always enjoy uh, superb choreographing uh, in the the fight scenes in the FFCU which were all choreographed well in this movie they were choreographed by Olivier Schneider who does phenomenal work he did uh, the fight choreographing for Liam Neeson in Taken as well as uh, Daniel Craig in the James Bond movies uh, both Spectre and No Time to die and he's actually returning as a supervising stunt coordinator for fast x which has you know has its own insane in stunts and fights and all that crazy stuff so um and i know i'm trying to think and there are not nearly as many fist fights actually in fast x as there was in fast 6 so that's interesting like how the movies develop they don't they're not using their fists as much they're just like crashing their cars into each other more often now than not now um so let's wrap up six and then move on to seven before we get ahead of ourselves um uh before we do that there are some things to address after the plane finale we get the death of Giselle you know Gal Gadot was leaving for Wonder Woman at the time I believe and she sacrifices herself to save Han you know very sad uh, they were going to travel and have a life together which uh you know Han decides to honor Giselle and he goes to Tokyo and then we get the end credit scene from Fast 6 which actually introduces Jason Statham character as deckard shaw and in an attempt to fix the timeline by editing in the tokyo drift scenes and adding in deckard as the car the t-bones um han's car through the intersection and and then like now i i, I actually like this they managed to sort of, like introduce a new antagonist and wrap in the tokyo drift movie and plotline in a more meaningful way and while i enjoy this attempt to fix the retcon it's a bit hard to believe that so many people enjoy Japan in 2013 had flip phones and I mean maybe they had spent all their money on those really expensive drifting drifting cars and could only afford flip phones at the time though in my nerd opinion this retcon fix was well done they make Han's death a 100 times more poignant than it was previously now he didn't just die in an accident now he was murdered and now there's a revenge plot just in time for Fast 7. Um, and let, let's ease off the the pedals again here so let's talk about uh, Fast 6 a bit more the budget versus the box office so um, obviously by Fast 6 the movie's franchise has become a box office juggernaut uh, with every installment out earning its preced- pred- predecessor uh, <laughs> with the exception of Tokyo Drift that is uh, and Fast 6 definitely hit the mark. Fast 6 had at the time one of the largest but basically the same Tris is true of every one of these movies. It's had the biggest budget at the time. And then the next movie had the biggest budget at the time. Uh, some of them had the same the, the same budget. So obviously it's not true of every movie. Um, but this one, as of, as of uh, what, this was 2015, I believe, for um, the Fast Six. Yeah. No, 2013. This was 2013. Oh, 10 years ago. This movie came out 10 years ago. That's that's crazy. So uh, 10 years ago, this movie had the biggest budget at the time. It was uh $160 million um, which is actually uh, $2 million more than Tokyo Drift made at the box office just some perspective on how big this franchise had become in three movies Uh, and if the big budget was a sign of how big the FFCU had become uh, the worldwide box office numbers were singing the exact same tune as Fast 6 blew past the previous installments to clock a total worldwide box office of $700 188 million dollars. Uh, Even the critics enjoy this movie. Over at Rotten Tomatoes, Fast Six is currently boasting a 71% critic rating and an 84% audience score, uh, which is really good numbers, especially when a lot of big dumb movies. And I mean that is dumb in that they don't need logic or gravity or Oscar-winning drama. Um, These type of movies often get raked over the coals when it comes to reviews. Uh, I think any good. MCU movie or anything like that that you really enjoyed yet every critic says it's not cinema or something equally pretentious Uh, it's refreshing to see that sometimes even the critics can turn off their brains and enjoy the popcorn flicks as they're intended to be enjoyed uh, with a pinch of self-awareness and a just a serious lack of fucks given. Now let's uh, continue the journey and I'll buckle up to the next destination, 2015 and the Furious Seven, Rise of Cobra, uh, I mean the Toretto Clan. Now before I jump into this one, we'll take a moment to touch upon the tragedy that struck around the filming of this movie, which was Paul Walker's death on November 30th, 2013. Uh, Now, the way these films were made and released, Fast 6 was in theaters when the accident occurred, but nearly all of Fast 7 had been filmed already in 2013. Uh, Sadly, Furious 7 became a tribute to Paul Walker as the filmmakers faced the challenge of completing the movie without him utilizing a combination of cgi body doubles and the help of his brother cody walker the film provided uh, a heart-wrenching send-off to the beloved character and i was a huge paul walker fan growing up actually he was such a talented thespian the first movie i saw him in was actually meet the deedles a disney movie from 1998 Uh, paul played phil deedle along with steve van warmer who played his brother Stu deedle they were rich kids whose dad decides to send them for a wilderness experience after they supremely piss him off you know blow off school go surfing all day and they instead they end up uh, crashing the instructor's car in the woods uh, he's yelling at them and they go off the road and uh, as they're crashing they they, they they take a bunch of stuff with them on the truck and you know like they, they crash through a campsite and they end up impersonating two wildlife rangers who had been assigned to a park in Yellowstone. I believe it was Yellowstone National Park, if I remember correctly. Um, And they have to help with a prairie dog issue. Um, And that is that is just going to ruin the park celebrations that they're gearing up for. Um, And this is one of those kids movies that the plot somehow works for the movie. But when you say it out loud, you realize just how stupid the premise is. Uh, And it's a very young Paul Walker. And it's a goofy kids comedy that my brother and I absolutely loved when we were kids. Uh, suffice to say I was deeply saddened by the news Um, and it's unbelievable that it has been almost 10 years since that terrible November day Um, though I don't want to get lost in the sadness around Fast 7 so I will just say that anytime I hear that Charlie Puth song I get I get chills Um, so let's let's wipe our eyes and blow our nose and and keep (laughs) keep on keeping on which is uh what life is about right so um okay Fast 7 uh is in my opinion when the cast and crew behind the ffcu i'm gonna keep saying it decided to absolutely lean into the pseudo superhero stunts and that at this point somehow you know some high exec up in executive land started putting failed gi joe plots into these movies because come on mr nobody and the agency this is the most gi joe type shit there is and i'm not saying i don't like any of of this it's all pretty damn good it's just amusing that all the crazy shit that happens in this movie absolutely none of it has to do with racing and there isn't even a big heist in this one it's just good guys in cars versus bad guys in cars and of course mr nobody will pro- promise everyone with a clean slate if they complete their mission um yeah that's right they traded heists for missions now uh so the mission rescue a hacker uh named nat um no what she was i was about to say her actress's name nath uh Na- and i guess natalie i guess the h is silent um Nat- natalie Emanuel, uh who plays cypher and she created a spying program called god's eye uh which is just a macguffin uh and that uh, they, this one can find anyone anywhere in the world um and they need to get it back from a terrorist uh jaconde played by um DJ, uh DJ, uh, crap, I can't pronounce his name <laughs> Um, Dejaimon Uh, who, who, how, uh, yeah, this is I'm butchering it, so we'll move on Uh, Jakande, the bad guy Uh, then uses, he's the wizard From Shazam, and I apologize for not Being able to pronounce his name Um, the, he, he uses, uh God's eye God's Um to uh you know do his terrorist crap, they don't really make his motivations very uh, um you know outwardly kn- knowledgeable for the ca- for the audience um and uh they want them to uh stop the terrorists and if they recover God's eye, Mr. nobody says that they can then use that to find deckard. Um, and this all goes swimmingly um, and they rip off the terrorist guy they save they save Cypher uh, not Cypher that's the wrong uh, bad guy they save uh, what was her name in the uh, movie I, I should have had this in my note oh I do have it in my notes here it's Ramsey I just had it on the wrong side with the wrong uh, person <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote my notes down incorrectly uh, so yeah Ramsey uh, Natalie Emmanuel they managed to save her they managed to get most of God's Eye back they have to do you know another part of the mission and drive a car out of a skyscraper uh, to get the chip that is needed to make God's Eye run and all of that goes swimmingly and they have God's Eye Uh, and that is until Deckard and Jaconde decide to join up against Dom and the agency uh, to get God's Eye back and you know just do some good old terrorist shit I guess Um, I mean I guess they just wanted money Deckard wants revenge for his brother being in the hospital and Dom wants revenge on Deckard for killing Han and blowing up his house. That happened at the beginning. Uh, no one, like I said, no one ever really mentions what Jakonde wants his motive or what his motivations are, though I, I mean I assume they're just be a terrorist, sell weapons, blow shit up, make money. Basically run of you know run of the mill terrorist stuff. Uh, though it doesn't really matter. In one of those insane, logicless gravity-defying stunts, Dom speeds his car off of a broken piece of rubble of a collapsing building and and tosses a bag of, like a gym bag of grenades out of a window um, at the helicopter that Jaconde is in um, and then crashes his car down the side of the building like in a Plinko style down the debris and as Jaconde appears to be getting away he's looking down at Dom you know crashing and he has this smug smile and Hobbs looks up and he sees the grenade bag is hanging from the helicopter and like one of those little you know like landing legs that it has the little bar that you know like touches the ground Around. He managed to get the gym bag, the strap to hang from that little bar, and Hobbs sees it and he shoots the bag and boom, no more terrorist. It was it was an amazing, epic ending. And obviously, Dom is fine. And then we get this tear-jerking ending. And you know, Mia, uh not Mia, sorry, uh Letty, she gets all her memories back. Um, she still hadn't recovered any of those yet. And and seeing Dom almost die, it all comes flooding back, and he, you know, he lives. Lives. and then uh, Brian decides it's time to retire with Mia and their son Jack and the whole gang is sitting on the beach and they watch Brian and Mia and Jack and they're happily ever after uh, which is just the saddest goddamn thing in the world because we know that you know Paul Walker has passed away and that real life doesn't always get the happily ever after so he's kind of like you know it's, it's, it's kind of just too depressing for a nerd review episode so let's let's move on who's cutting onions damn it? Um, so uh, if if anything has been proven it's that the fans of the FFCU absolutely love these movies and Universal knows this and they put money on the table for this one at the time again most expensive movie ever made with a budget of now 250 million dollars you know just absolutely bonkers budget Um, they you got to spend money to make money and Furious 7 uh, was one of the most successful FFCU movies making one 1.5 billion dollars at the box office some people say this was fans of paul walker coming out to say their goodbye and their farewells to such an amazingly talented thespian who had been entertaining audiences for almost 30 years which is an amazing dedication to your work and your art. Uh, And the ratings of the box office really say it all. Both critic and audiences raved about this installment of the FFCU with an 81% rating from critics and an 82% audience score. Uh, Fast 7 is a beloved movie of both fans and critics and will be the last movie that uh, Paul Walker ever made. And that brings us up to 2017, the Fate of the Furious franchise is and something that i hit on back in part one was that one of the crazy things about a franchise that spans almost 20 years to pushing 20 years now over 20 years um yeah definitely over 20 years first movie came out in 2001 so as of 2021 it's 20 years um it it follows you through life uh in the first movie you know came out in 2001 i was in the first grade and at this point in 2017 i was going back to school i'd already finished high school and now i'm going back to school for computers which was a huge turning point in my life so the fast eight falls at a pivotal point for myself here uh, the nerd which is an interesting uh, thing to think about in you know retrospective like what was happening in my life when this movie came out and uh, at this point in time actually in 2017 i was completely uninterested in uh, the fast and the furious franchise i was super busy uh, got going back to school and working on the weekends and I had a seven day a week schedule I was in school Monday to Friday and working Saturday Sundays and I, don't, I didn't have as much time to you know watch movies and and do all that so it's interesting to think about um and, and to reflect on so the uh eighth installment of the, fran- the FFCU you gotta you gotta use the acronym uh the fate of the furious and uh, kind of the fate of the furious franchise too is how it's dubbed um the weekend get it's the first movie uh, without Paul Walker and um, so we get some back to basics as the movie gets going with an actual race we haven't seen those in years in the Fast and Furious just a good old fashioned two car race and Dom manages to win uh, this race with the front of his car on fire um, that's that's some good skill uh, and uh, we are introduced to Charlize Theron a cipher who convinces Dom that he now has to Betray his family and do exactly what she says, uh, which is basically steal whatever I say and whatever I want you to steal. Uh, so, uh, also we get introduced to more of the Shaw family as we meet the matriarch of the Shaw family, Magdalene uh, Shaw, who's played by Helen Mirren, who is a great addition to the cast, and she's popped up in a few other uh, movies, including the spin-off. Uh, obviously, it's Hobbs and Shaw, so they include some more Shaws and uh, in uh, Fast X 2 I believe she was in that as well uh, who uh, Dom actually reaches out to get to some help from uh, while he's under Cypher's thumb uh, so sadly Dom doesn't do exactly what Cypher says and uh, when when she does this and thus Dom has to be punished and uh, we get to see Elena again uh, we haven't seen her in a movie uh, for, a, for one movie I believe, I don't think she was in the last one and, or no, she was briefly in the last one and uh, now she's been kidnapped by Cipher, and uh, who has most recently had uh, no, not Cipher? Sorry, she's been kidnapped by Cipher, and she has uh, Elena. She has had most recently had Dom's baby. That was a bit of a confusing sentence. Uh, and uh, so she, so Dom is introduced to his son, who he didn't know that he had. And Elena explains that you know, had it been her, uh, and had it been her husband who came back from the dead, um, you know, she would have wanted a chance to kind of you know fix that and so she stepped away from him and letty and only afterward found out she was pregnant um and she was you know going to tell him uh soon but then she got you know kidnapped by cypher um so they there's a moment where you know she asks him to name the baby and all that and then cypher comes in and she's like you didn't do exactly what i said i want you to do and then she just executes uh elena in cold blood right in front of dom the movie gets super dark um and that is when dom realizes that you know he has to you know play by her rules she has his baby son she's killed elena and um cypher wants a bunch of pieces that she needs to take over a nuclear sub uh so she needs like a football that's you know what they call the briefcase that they hold but the sub is in russia so she needs to hit the russian congregate or you know whatever it is diplomatic whatever it is uh and um she wants to use that to take over this submarine and have these nukes that would like make her the most powerful person in the world and start uh you know like if they don't listen to her she'll start a nuclear winter and and you know she'll take out one of the superpowers to establish herself um which is not like the worst plan except she pissed off one of the only group of one of the only groups of people in the world capable of stopping her. You know, it's always that fatal flaw in most of these plans. Now, um, Don, uh, Don, Dom uh, set up Hobbs to take the fall for a heist mission, and Hobbs uh, ends up in the same prison that Deckard Shaw was left in in the la- end of the last movie. And there's a really great fight sequence here in the prison as Hobbs and Shaw both escape. Uh, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure right there is where. They got Hobbs and Shaw. Someone was like, oh, hey, they, they came up. They were like, oh, yeah, that, that Hobbs and Shaw. That that sounds great. I like the sound of that. And I'm always curious how they come up with those conversations. And though, according to rumors, the spin-off and the plot of this eighth movie was all in an attempt to keep Dom, uh, to keep uh, Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson apart because of their, quote, you know, beefs or displeasures with each other's working styles. Uh, and this Dom is basically not in any of the scenes with Hobbs and in, in almost any of the eighth movies and he's not obviously he's not in the spin off at all and you know come to think of it it's probably why Hobbs was sidelined by Deckard in the last movie too just like thinking about it now connecting those dots um and and you know there's the scene at the beginning of the seventh movie where Deckard and Hobbs fight and Hobbs ends up in the uh the hospital because he threw himself out the window to save Elena which is the the brief time that you see Elena in the seventh movie it was the at the beginning of that uh that sequence in that fight um and uh yeah, just you know, I'm thinking about all that now. It's amazing you connect those dots as you're thinking about it. Um, okay, so uh after the escape uh of the after Hobbs and Shaw escapes, Mr. Nobody comes back into the picture and he uh drops some exposition for everyone that unknowingly through the last few years, the Dom crew has pissed off this cypher character by getting involved in the God's eye stuff, and that uh Owen Deckard had got burned by. Cypher also in an attempt to convince, um, Deckard to be on board uh, with Dom's crew and this this really this really works like um, they, they explained that um, Owen was supposed to steal something called Nightshade and when it didn't go their way that Cypher um, is the one that put him in the hospital and that was in an attempt to get Deckard to get on board with the crew and that that clearly worked now the crew um, refuse to give up on Dom even after he uh, kills quote kills Shaw um, in a showdown now a little foreknowledge obviously we know there's a spin-off before watching this movie so clearly shaw wasn't dead uh and i'm glad too because jason statham is uh it's hilarious as shaw um and uh, a bit so a bit out of order actually is shaw's uh entire baby rescue plan was hilarious so like the, he comes back they think he's dead so it gives him an opportunity to come back and go after the baby and once the baby is safe uh dom can you know dom can go off and and start helping them and that's what he had reached out to his mother for and there's a whole part there's a whole part at the ending where where Deckard's like "You called my mother you know like it was it was very funny um and so that entire part where, where Deckard shows up on the plane and he brings his brother Owen which was which was nice um and um I'll get to that in a second, but the, the 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 rescue plan, and he's killing all the bad guys while protecting the baby, and his quips are hilarious. Like, you were going to shoot a baby, and then he just kills the guy, and he's like turning the baby around and stuff. And and like I said, they brought back Owen Shaw and I, uh, for this mission, and I like that. Um, the FFCU is really filling up with characters that can be called on for different missions. They all have, you know, like different uses and different connections, which is just really fun. It's one of the things that the FFCU does right, not killing off all of their antagonists uh, right away. Uh, though even if they did, it would really take only take a simple retcon to have one of them uh, up and walking around again. Uh, but I enjoy the Shaws and they're expanding their family at the same time. Now, Fate of the Fury, really took that G.I. Joe type stuff to the exact level you would expect in an actual G.I. Joe movie. Uh, Cypher and her henchmen are essentially Cobra uh, and the agency is G.I. Joe. They are even literally saving the world from a nuclear threat now. There's this new tech, and we we saw some of that tech, MacGuffins. I mentioned that uh, before, MacGuffins. For those who are not familiar with the term, a MacGuffin is an item or an object or device that is necessary to the plot and motivations of the characters. God's Eye uh, was the first one, and it does pop up a few times. But now, Cypher is uh, the world's best hacker, and she can remotely control cars and turn them into a mob of World War Z zombie cars chasing down their target and this was the most cg this was the most cgi obviously it was cgi this was the most gi joe uh type shit scene ever i was, like, I was just like this is this, this woman's cobra they're like just put the helmet on her <laughs> cobra you know like um th- uh, you know then we move uh to russia the nuclear plant facility like basically cobra hq complete with the nuclear submarine and we have some awesome high-speed car chases chases and explosions and it's a great time unless you're our- one of the henchmen and then you're getting blown to smithereens and it's actually one of the things I always think about in these type of movies especially in the Fast and the Furious franchise you're in the 8th installment and there's been countless amounts of faceless bad guys being blown up, shot, killed, you'd think there'd be some sort of like inner community whatsapp kind of thing and so at some point they'd just be like yo guys why are we all dying every other week and then they'd figure out like they're all going up against the same bald dude and his family and they're like maybe we should just back off for a while like somebody hires you to go after this guy just be like yo no man i'm, I'm not getting on board with that this guy kills everybody <laughs> It's just something I always find funny. And of course, as soon as Deckard saves the baby, uh, Dom is free from Cypher. And once, uh, you know, that is done and the crew is back together, she knows she's done. So Cypher bails from the plane uh, and parachutes to safety. Meanwhile, uh, she remotely fires a missile from the submarine at Dom and the crew. And Dom leads this one, uh, you know, he leads it away uh, with his car. He fires that like that big, you know, muscle car engine. So the flame comes out the back so the heat-seeking missile comes after him. Very brave. Uh, And one of the pinnacles of the Fast and the Furious cinematic universe that I've noted over watching the entire franchise, basically twice in a row, the length I go to for this podcast. Uh, Okay, it was uh, at the end of every movie, Dom does a crazy stunt, jump, goes off a cliff and they while he always saves the day he never lands the car or he he never comes out unscathed ever since the first movie and the train scene you know he clears the train but then he hits the truck and you know just after the train and in this movie sorry with the last movie uh with the the helicopter jump you know he he manages to you know hook the bag of grenades but he crashes over the side of the building now in this movie he jumps over the submarine um but if if you know the shape of a submarine it has that like whale part like the fin that sticks out where people are supposed to come out of the submarine so he jumps right in front of it as it's moving forward so like if you're looking at the timing the missiles right behind it and it's gonna hit the submarine which it does big explosion but right as he does this just the back end of his car hits the submarine and he flips out and he's you know turned into a barrel roll and now he's out of control and when the car lands you know it's crumpled and destroyed but oh dom is okay he's just you know like he has maybe a broken arm and some blood on his eye they love doing the blood above the eye thing so that it like comes down around on your cheek makes you look very like battle worn and then one of the best things in the movie they drive all their cars around around him in a circle and create a vehicular shield to shield him from the ensuing explosion that is created by the missile hitting the nuclear submarine and i was kind of questioning the fact that i know they took off the launch capabilities of the nukes but did they take the nukes off the submarine um i i did, i don't think they even mentioned that at any point wouldn't blowing up the submarine cause the nukes to go off Um, So that's something (laughs) That we should Might want to look at Um, And everyone comes out uh, You know like unscathed then they they wrap the movie up and and Deckard brings the baby to you know the rooftop party that they're having and Hobbs gets his job back or he gets his job offered back and he decides to decline to spend more time with his daughter and you know Deckard and Dom bury the hatchet and he Dom gets his son back and he names him Brian uh you know in honor of uh obviously Brian and 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 Paul Walker and, and you know all in all the stakes are getting bigger and the crew has now literally saved the world from nuclear destruction and it was fun and entertaining ride with like crazy gi joe stuff happening all over the place and you know i can't argue with that kind of entertainment now the budget for the eighth movie was the exact same as the previous movie 250 million dollars and proving that even without paul walker and the brian dom bromance that had brought Everyone together, all those years ago, the franchise has found its legs, and this installment also blew up the box office, making another whopping 1.2 billion dollars worldwide. Uh, which really does answer the question on why they keep making these movies, because people keep filling theaters to watch them. It actually reminds me of something that uh, Todd Howard said; he's the president, see, uh, president CEO, something, whatever, of uh, Bethesda, Bethesda, which is a video game company. Uh, he said when people. Asked them uh, if they should stop making Skyrim, a very popular game, on every new platform that came out, and he said, uh, "quote We'll stop making it when people stop buying it." And uh, someone who, uh, from, like someone like me, who owns Skyrim on uh, my PC, my P- my PS3, my PS4, my Switch, and I have it on Game Pass, which so I have five copies of Skyrim that I own, and it's only logical that a franchise that makes a billion dollars from a movie about a bunch of former street racing criminals turned into minor superheroes um, like in today's market that's that's just gold and even you know the reviews only dipped slightly so you know 67 percent critic and 72 percent audience which are still really incredible numbers um, for the eighth movie in a franchise is pretty damn good you know i'm trying to think of another franchise with eight movies that could be considered good and all i can think of is Friday the 13th and the eighth Eighth Friday movie, uh eighth Friday movie, eighth Jason movie, um which is I believe is Jason takes Manhattan. Uh and if we do a quick Google search, um that has an 11% critic and a 27% audience score I'm, I mean I'm not sure how uh, how many huge franchises have an 8th movie that would be highly rated as this I mean like maybe Star Wars the last Harry Potter movie was split into two so that would be t- that would be 8 movies I guess like Deathly Hallows part 2 that probably got really good reviews um, as a nerd that loves a good film franchise I feel like I should be able to name more um, but not many get 8 or more movies that the ones that do tend to be more jason takes manhattan quality and not that there's anything wrong with jason movies i loved all of those too um and uh, we're almost actually at the end of this behemoth franchise as we talk about um the budget and the box office uh, you know before we take a break uh from the numerical releases to have some spin-off fun now with hobson shaw 2019 Now, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times that the FFCU, the Fast and Furious Cinematic Universe, became home to failed G.I. Joe movie plots. Uh, And that is 100% what is happening in this spinoff. There are actual superpowers in this movie, which is achieved through science, quote science, which it can just do whatever they want it to do. So basically, it's magic or whatever you want, basically. And all in all, I absolutely loved it. I loved this movie. Uh, It was ridiculous and fast paced with tons of hilarious cameos from ryan reynolds and kevin hart as that hilarious tsa agent uh no sorry he wasn't tsa agent he was the uh homeland security the the flight guy the the air marshal he was the air marshal uh, like I said before, uh, they are going just over the top with stuff, and for you know, forget leaning into it, they picked up the ball and are running with it now. Um, Hobbs even does the helicopter hold that ha- you know Captain America did. They're just they're pseudo superheroes, and they're all they're missing is capes and and cool outfits, which some of them even wear sometimes. Uh, now the best part of uh, Hobbs and Shaw was using um, the world that has been built around round the fast and furious there are so many characters that can be pulled in and flushed out Um, the Shaw family has become pretty large and the movie adds one more to the clan with Hattie uh, played by the super talented Vanessa Kirby and she was a riot throughout this film even managed to bring a few moments of emotional depth to the screen when arguing that they should simply kill her uh, to save the world who's you know like who's cutting those onions um (laughs) the plot uh was essentially an episode of gi joe Uh, Cobra, uh, I mean Etion, sorry, wants to get their hands on this programmable virus and they use Brixton played by the incredible Idris Elba who has been modified and augmented with advanced technology, turning him into a freaking supervillain literally heads up display built into his eyes and super strength and speed can like punch through walls jump over buildings, He's, he's he's a super villain working for a secret organization this is this is g.i joe and now uh hattie is working for mi6 at the beginning of the film at this point she takes the virus into her body to keep it away from etion and the people that ambush her um and and no worries the the virus it's dormant and i guess that's how these new designer viruses work they're like volcanoes you know they just go to sleep for a bit um that's a convenient plot device uh and that plot device brings us to this movie's mcguffin the virus extractor naturally and how many virus extractors do you suspect are in their world if you said anything above exactly one, you'd be wrong because now it's a race because everybody knows what they need to get, you know, what they need to get and they have to actually get there. And and don't don't get your hopes up. It's not an actual race. God forbid. Uh, it's a race to find the one guy who has the one virus extractor and they have a time limit. It's the ultimate plot device with a timer that leads to one MacGuffin in the world that can save all of humanity. The stakes literally could not be higher in this movie. So the timer is that uh, the dormant virus in Hattie's body will eventually break down its tiny cellular containers or some shit uh, and she'll die. So they have to get the virus extractor to pull out the virus. Um, And I guess at no point did anybody think that a dialysis dialysis machine would do exactly the same thing. Um, But don't bring that up with the plot director uh the writers and director now uh because Hobbes and Shaw literally only a super ha- enhanced individual can even slightly hurt them at this point uh though they do manage to get the virus extractor with some help from Hattie uh but in their grand escape uh with not a lick of gravity included in that escape the virus extractor takes a bullet and it needs to be fixed obviously um because it can't be that easy and because it's par for the course at this point in the film Etion has made uh our trio the most wanted people in the world for stealing this pesky virus they blame the whole thing on them which is literally happened in the last three movies that after a heist goes wrong that the main crew becomes like the bad guys i think they're even reusing the same news people but just changing the photos at this point Uh, so it's not trite yet but it's getting a tad predictable uh enter the hobbs background story and a trip to samoa which literally makes no sense and at this point the timeline is in complete shams so they had this whole the virus is going to expire in her bloodstream right now after the escape from Etion hq shaw states they have no more than a day now so remember the virus is dormant and they need that virus extractor to save hattie so let's argue they have a day and a half 36 hours now the hq is in the ukraine and at this point hob says he knows where to go cut to samoa That's a 14 hour flight not to mention getting from wherever they were in the ukraine and getting a flight and uh you know like they have to actually get to an airport and then land in samoa and then they have to drive back to his home there's a bunch of arguing and bickering that ensues and then they begin preparing for you know like they know that Etion is going to come for them and they've been tracking them and blah 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 and so they begin preparing this huge fight and 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 i say this like i'm not i'm not i'm not hating on them there's a huge montage i love the montage there you know like you know uh you know hobbs reunites with his family his mom has you know know really great they had a great actress uh play his mom and it was it was a great reunion and stuff i I enjoyed it i always enjoy a good um montage and they did a really good job of them like getting all their weapons and preparing and you know put booby trapping the island and all that stuff but they did all of this in their 36 hour window which included the 14 hour flight and before idris alba arrives at this point we literally see brixton his character is still in the Ukraine, speaking with some disembodied deep voice boss in this weird room because bad guy HQs never make sense structurally speaking, it's probably something to do with the fact that they're all crazy and they probably shouldn't be involved with the blueprints in the planning phase of the HQ. Uh, so so he's he's more than 14 hours behind them not to mention his own 14 hour journey to the ukraine which is literally 28 hours to samoa now like well it's it's gonna take him 14 hours so it'll be 28 hours in total and yet somehow all of this happens in a day like in their 36 hours like you see the sun setting and they're arriving and i'm like that's the longest fucking day ever that's longer than the runway in fast six so it's The NOS is traded out for some Samoa Island moonshine. Hobbes refers to it logic takes a back seat as we willingly suspend our disbelief to embrace the pure entertainment of hobbs and shaw as a popcorn munching extravaganza that leaves you craving for more and with a newfound appreciation for the outrageous spectacle that the fast and the furious franchise has become a pseudo superhero movie with cars with and you know this was one of my favorite movies of the franchise honestly it has some really great world building and adds a breath of fresh air and some really good comedy and just a level of self-awareness and non-seriousness that works oh so well for these movies. Um, So with a a budget of $200 million, only slightly less than the last major entry, it was gobbled up by fans eager to get that hit of NOS or Moonshine, making $760 million at the box office. Even without Vin Diesel and the rest of the gang, the FFCU is strong enough to support a major spin off that goes in its own direction, which is awesome. I'm so down for more spin offs of this nature and sequels. I'm so uh, hopeful for Hobbs and Shaw Part 2. And at this point, I mean, I'm nine movies in in, if I stop watching now, it was all for naught. But alas, it was not for naught. Even the reviews were favorable, though the critic side is a bit down from the last major franchise release for Hobbs and Shaw at 68% from critic critics, and the audience score is strong though with 88% higher than Fate of the Furious I might add. And with that we are now almost done, we are oh so close to the end of this part 2 special though there will be have to be a part three because as we have now found out the franchise is not over yet fast x part two will only hit theaters in 2025 absolutely amazing vin diesel has also seemingly confirmed that fast x is actually a trilogy and best estimates is that part three will only drop in 2026 And on top of that, there will most likely be a Hobbs spinoff that will come out in between each of these movies, though these spinoffs are not the Hobbs and Shaw 2 spinoff. That will be something else. So somehow, while the franchise is ending, there are also still four or five movies to come out over arguably the next ten years. How how is that possible to have those two things happening at the same time? How could you end a franchise but also it's going to continue for the next ten years? How you manage to spin that off is absolutely amazing. This juggernaut of of a franchise is just going to keep on giving and living for another decade. And and you know I like, guess you know even the mcu and and even probably the dcu have more movies but all of those are featuring different comic book characters the ffcu is just a core group of precision drivers that went from stealing dvd players to saving the world from nuclear threats and i mean that's just amazing so uh let's steam on ahead uh for f9 the family reunion and uh and that's not actually what it's called i just it's f9 the saga The Fast Saga, I believe, is the actual uh, name of the (laughs) this installment. I like to call it the Family Reunion. Uh, We get John Cena being added to the cast. I absolutely love John Cena. He's hilarious and extremely talented. Um, I I don't care if he doesn't look like Dom uh, because that's not you know all the family members don't look exactly the same, so those arguments don't matter to me at all. Uh, And if you don't like John Cena, well, bully for you. Now, (laughs) the plot of this movie is essentially the same as all the other movies except we replace the God's Eye MacGuffin with a different two-part MacGuffin called Project Ares that allows uh, whomever has both pieces of the device to hack any network device on the planet uh, and they can control, you know, like an entire military base or something, etc, etc that doesn't come into question with the whole military has what's called an air-gapped network, which is networked computers inside a building have never been connected to an outside network um which is what they what they call that but we're not going to get into that this is a movie you don't need logic like that now john cena turns out to be jacob with a k who turns out to be the long estranged brother of dom and mia who is somewhat responsible for the death of their father jack Uh, we get some really interesting background of Dom and seeing that fight that sends him to Juvie and how he meets uh, Leo and Santos in Juvie and they're just hilarious these the young cast was really well done and a lot of people say That the young Dom played by Vinny Bennett doesn't look like Dom, though I argue that he looks a he looks a lot like Dom slash Vin Diesel from the first movie, which is 23 years ago, Uh, which makes sense because Dom was supposed to be in his mid 20s in the first movie. So I believe the casting was actually super well done. Uh, It's during this mission in uh, F9 when trying to find Mister Nobody that they find out that Han was somehow in involved with the agency and project age uh, project agency project Ares which uh, leads to one of the best retcons to fix the fan to fix in the entire franchise which is that Han is alive. And in more flashbacks and even more retcons, it's shown that Han was approached by Mr. Nobody while in Tokyo, and his death was faked to protect Project Arius now from you know getting out into the world and all that. So boom, amazing. It's revealed. Uh, even more revelations. It's now revealed that Jacob was also an agent of Mr. Nobody, and that's why Dom is later picked up by the agency. They'd hope he'd be as good as Jacob double boom now honestly as writing goes it's not horrible it fixes plot holes and retcons that fans didn't like while also bringing back favorite fan uh, character fan, uh, fan fan favorite characters like han they even do more with the tokyo drift cat cast and bring back sean and twinkie and seeing little bow wow was amazing i grew up when his music was so popular um and all that worked to fix the timeline and get the Tokyo Drift cast back into the main franchise is is some amazing level of fan service and using that rocket car was hilarious sending Tej and Roman to space was so outlandishly ridiculous it was exactly what this franchise would do uh, almost as hilarious as the redemption arc of Jacob and I can't even call it a redemption arc because it wasn't an arc it was a straight line and he only becomes good because the other guy double-crossed him and he's like oh well my plan sucked. might as well throw in with a good Guys, now, and I mean, arguably, his motivations was that like I b- I believe he felt left out and like he felt thrown away by his family, and now you know confronting Dom and having and Mia and having the chance to make amends would be more important than scoring a big win and taking over the world because honestly, that just sounds exhausting. Who wants to run the world? uh And in a moment of parallels, the ending of the big finale, Dom gives Jacob the keys to his car. To escape the authorities, much like Brian did with Dom in the first movie, you know, re-establishing their brotherhood. I I love the symbolism of the parallels. Gotta enunciate. Uh, and if it were me, I'd do the same as Jacob. I'd rather have a backyard barbecue with cold brew skis with my bro any day. Though Jacob is currently on the run and not at this barbecue. Though I assume his invitation is only one record scrubbing mission away, as it usually is. And that's exactly how we leave the gang at the end of F9. Their family home is being rebuilt. Remember, it had been blown up by Deckard in uh, Furious Seven, and everyone is there, and they toast and celebrate. And um, you know, it was honestly, it was a great movie. I really enjoyed Fast Nine. I, I really like the posters and the art for this movie. the All the different you know characters and their cars, and then you had the the big smoke flares going up behind them with the different colors. It was really good. It, it was really well done. I like promotion for this one too uh, and before we move on to the current and final ffcu movie uh, let's talk budget and box office for f9 the fast saga as its complete title is actually The Fast Saga, not The Family Reunion with a slightly lower budget than F8 The Furious uh, uh, you know The Fate of the Furious the F8 movie coming in at 225 million dollars which is still insanely high the fans were myself not myself included I didn't actually go to see this one in theaters uh, I jumped back in on Fast X uh, the, uh, you know all the other fans were still enthralled with everything FFCU uh, bringing the box off To $726 million, uh, which is more in line with the franchise earnings the death of Paul Walker and also uh, op- the, the movie also opened during COVID pandemic 2021. So those numbers could have been much higher if the world hadn't just been kicked in the teeth by COVID, um, though that is just my nerd opinion. And it would appear that the critics have had uh, all the FFCU they can stomach as the critic score from the Rotten Tomatoes has taken a nosedive uh, down to 59%. Meanwhile, the fans are more content than ever to be strapped in and shot to the moon for an entertaining drive through a familiar franchise with an audience score of 82% and honestly I enjoyed F9 as much as I did any of the other films and it makes me curious why the critics score dropped so much unless you know perhaps it's exactly what I said they've had enough FFCU. Now by golly we've actually made it to the last Fast and the Furious movie at this time because like I said four to five more movies and I feel like they're going to announce more movies like Fast and the Furious Next Generations like it's Degrassi or some shit. So let's jump into Fast and the Furious Fast X and let's find out what it's all about. Now I'm not going to spend too much time on the plot here. This movie is still in theaters and for anyone who wants to go see it I will do my best for a spoiler-light review. There is some great world-building in this installment, going all the way back to Rio and the events of Fast Five, introducing Jason Momoa as Dante, the son of the crime boss from the fifth movie who gets thrown out of his car and then unceremoniously shot to death by Hobbs. I did sort of forget about Reyes and how ruthlessly they offed that guy. I mean he was the bad guy but goddamn, that was intense. The flashbacks are like oh oh yeah they fucked that guy up. And so Dante also got thrown from his vehicle but he landed in the water and he spent the last decade planning and plotting his revenge against Dom and all the people who took down his father and stole all of their ill-gotten gains. Now we get the return of Cypher as she makes her case for switching sides, which was basically I almost died and now you're next and I'm fucked. Can you lend me a hand? Which doesn't really leave much room to say no, does it? And I, it's not very polite of her. Now this brings Dom back into the action game and only now he has a son to think of protecting. Uh so Mia and Jacob show up to lend a helping hand as Brian, you know, <clears throat> is still alive in this world and he's taking care of their son Jack off-screen. Something which a lot of people don't like and think it's uh weak or his character has uh you know, he's babysitting which uh you know, while all this is happening and this two things like one, I don't think it's weak to take care of your kids and protect them and two your dad's always thought of babysitters like it's not a responsibility of a dad to watch and protect his kids it's a very strange mentality that arises around such topics and I think these conversations are pointless and they also forget the idea of keeping Brian alive is to honor the memory of Paul Walker and keep him alive for fans in our hearts and minds and even before Paul Walker's death the character Brian in Fast 6 and 7 was coming to the terms with having to bow out for family and that he wanted to protect his son more than anything and you know be there as a dad figure like his dad wasn't so in my nerd opinion brian being a way off screen protecting jack makes 100 percent sense to me and i think it's still you know a nice way to honor his character so i really hope they don't uh, do something with you know dante finding brian off screen or trying to do some cgi death of brian i think that would be in bad taste especially with the death of brian and especially Especially with the the death of uh, Paul Walker And especially with the way that he died in a car crash I think it would be uh, in very bad taste for them to do something like that And I think that keeping him alive in the series Does keep him alive in that sense In a way, you know, in our minds and in our hearts That this character that was, you know, portrayed by uh, Paul Walker Can live out his, you know, life happily ever after He gets that happily ever after somewhere out there And I think that's something that they should keep Um, So that's all I'll say to that So uh, let's return to the little bit of the plot that I don't mind talking about. So Jacob returns uh, and he's making up for lost time with little Brian, uh, Dom's son, as he protects him from uh, Dante. And there are scenes that are so funny that it helps balance the intense action scenes of the movie. Um, And also Jason Momoa is absolutely hilarious as Dante. He's kind of insane you know he's he's a bit cracked i think that like the moment like he talks about having died you know in the water and being resuscitated and he's just kind of gotten crazy with it and he's just you know obsessed with revenge and and getting his his you know whole plot to go down and and there are some videos online and and some really funny videos that have like detailed his plot that he worked on for those 10 years and it's absolutely insane um, and it's like so many things have to happen and fall in in, in, uh, in place. And uh, so Jason Will isn't the only new face on the block. Uh, Brie Larson makes her FFCU debut as Tess or Little Miss Nobody, Mr. Nobody's daughter. And I've always been a fan of her performance, uh, you know, ever since uh, Kong Skull Island. And I really enjoyed Captain Marvel. Um, she's a very talented despian for sure. So adding her to the FFCU ensemble... Uh, was awesome. They also introduced a new agency member, Ames, played by Alan Richardson, a super talented thespian that I know from way back when he was playing uh, in Smallville. Actually, he played Aquaman. So that's funny that he and Jason Momoa played the same character. Uh, He was also in Blue Mountain State, a comedy series about a college football team that actually filmed right here in Montreal at John Abbott College. I did some classes there John Abbott uh, way back in 2011 and it was right after the show had finished filming and it was so cool to see all the hallways and exteriors that were used uh, in that show which is something I always thought was interesting as a little small world there uh, and one of the best scenes in Fast X is actually the continuation of the post credit scene from the last movie when Han confronts Deckard that happens in this movie and they're going to Deckard for some assistance and some weapons though Deckard doesn't know Han is alive and he assumes he's arrived for vengeance and they get into a pretty good fight though Han is mostly playing defensive and trying to communicate to Deckard that he wants his help and not to kill him Uh, eventually they're interrupted by Dante's mercs and the conversation is rendered moot and that's all i really want to say about the plot it's a really fun action-packed movie that does a great job of utilizing so much of the last two decades worth of movies that uh it's everything a fan of the fast and the furious could really hope for honestly and i just hope that you know the you know fast x part two and fast x part three and the hobbs sequel uh, there's a rumor that it's going to be hobbs versus dante and we got a post-credits scene setting that up and you got to see um Dwayne Johnson as Hobbs and his goatee is now all white you know he's getting older and that I, I, that's amazing i think that's uh, really cool going to be a great you know little movies in between this friend this this franchise ending trilogy it, it, it's going to be four or five movies long depending on how many spin-offs they manage to pump out in between i i believe it'll be Fast X part 1 uh, and it be like a, maybe a Hobbs and Dante, you know, Hobbs versus Dante, Fast X part two, maybe Shaw versus Dante. They bring in the whole Shaw, the, the whole Shaw clan. I almost said Shobbs. Um That's what that's, that's if you ship Hobbs and Shaw together. Sh- ho- Shobbs, yeah, Shobbs, that's what it was. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was just something I just came up with. Um, and so that's why I think it'll go down. And then after Fast X part three, three maybe we'll, hopefully we'll get Hobbs and Shaw part two or maybe even in between um, honestly that would be that'd be amazing uh, so let's talk budget real quick the budget for Fast X part one was a jaw-dropping three hundred and forty million dollars and just like many movies before the highest budget uh, you know of a movie made right now of this year uh, and for the highest budget for any of the movies in this franchise that's for sure uh, the star power alone probably a counts for a decent chunk of that not to mention filming in so many locations which has become a custom for all of the franchise uh, and blowing up so many cars for all those practical stunts now in a post-pandemic box office Fast X has done really well uh, coming in with $705 million uh, as of this writing though it's still playing in theaters around me and I wouldn't be surprised if it squeezed out another million dollars before officially leaving theaters and it would seem, as my previous assumption was correct unfortunately, critics have had enough of the Fast and Furious cinematic universe, and that is evident in the critic review score on Rotten Tomatoes, currently at 57%. Uh, And and the comments from most of the critics are all the same generic, uh, pretentious comments you'd expect from mainstream critics. Uh, Lately, I truly believe, this is a tangent, that some critics are being incentivized or outright paid to write bad reviews um, this example is not related to Fast X but it's of a recent movie so I think it, it applies um, it's a critic review for Super Mario Brothers the movie um, which has made 1.3 billion dollars of the box office and has an audience score of 95% yet currently has a critic score of only 58% uh, which is higher than I recall reading previously actually on the that Um, and there was one review in particular that really underlined this issue the headline read and quote the super mario brothers movie has all the charm of an unplugged game boy end quote which tells me one thing a hundred percent of the person who wrote this has never played a fucking game boy in their life and has no idea what they're talking about so just for reference a game boy uses double a batteries and is by nature an unplugged handheld device and that's actually it's charm so you're berating the movie for being bad but technically your insult doesn't really apply because the charm of a game boy is the fact that it's unplugged so it's it's reviews like this that serve no purpose but to be negative for no reason which is just a shame because fast x and the mario brothers movies are two really good movies completely different but both are really great and you know that uh, that suffice that all that to say is that all, all the ffcu movies to date uh they've been really good all of them you know from start to finish i watched basically the entire franchise twice i started the fifth movie and i went all the way up you know, including Hobbs and Shaw, and then Part Nine, F Nine, the and then I went and saw F, F, no, F, Fast X in theater, and that was great. And then I came home and literally started at the beginning, Fast and Furious One, and then as I was doing my research, I needed to have something on in the background. So after I passed Fast Four, I was like, well, I might as well just continue, and I did five, six, seven, and I didn't, I didn't make it to nine. But you know, I basically watched the entire franchise twice in a row. Uh, and then while doing all the research and reading the synapse and all the background, uh, I have thoroughly investigated and invested some time into the Fast and the Furious Furious uh, franchise. And it has been an enjoyable time. Um, I've laughed. Uh, I've had a blast watching it. There have been some really great action sequences, some amazing choreographing, some great directing, um, arguably decent writing, not not anything that I think is going to be you know put into the history books of like this is what you're you know you're hoping for in a writing room or something like this is reaching new levels of writing or you know like delivery exposition drops or anything like that but uh definitely memorable in their own ways uh there'll be videos counting how many time dom says family or you know stuff like that and uh that'll definitely be memorable in its own way and um you know all of the F, uh, FFCU movies to date. I am uh, very excited for the Hobbs spin off uh, that will tide us over until uh, Fast X Part 2. Uh, and it's incredible how much more this franchise has to come. Fast and the Furious has garnered a massive fan following. And it definitely holds a special place in the hearts of many moviegoers, myself included. Those first few movies have so many memories and nostalgic memories. They have that wrapped around them for me remembering watching those movies with my brother on those old TVs and those old apartments, uh, being so young and being so enamored with Fast Cars and all the colors and the cars and the decals and playing all of those video games Fast and the Furious, uh, Fast and the Furious Burnout, Need for Speed in, you know, pretending and role-playing as the characters from Fast and the Furious and having the whole wheel and the car set up and all that was just so much fun and it definitely has its place in uh, my mind and it lives it lives there rent free as they say I have good memories of, of movies and, and times past And the FFC, who just like the MCU or the DCEU or any other film for that matter, you know, it offers the perfect escape from reality. The NOS fueled uh, action, the adrenaline pumping car chases, and the larger than life characters transport us, the audience, to a thrilling world of pure entertainment. These movies provide a break from everyday life, allowing audiences and, you know, allowing us to. immerse ourselves in these worlds where the rules are meant to be broken and the stunts are simply jaw dropping there is something about the Fast and the Furious franchise that captures also the spirit of camaraderie and family. It was, you know, as a good example, the same as the show Supernatural. It went on for 15 years on the CW. And just like the FFCU, it was about family first and demons and monsters or cars and races and heists second the strong bonds that were you know, formed among characters, resonated with myself, with audiences, with viewers, everywhere, you know, reinforcing that importance of loyalty and, and chosen family, uh, something that becomes apparent as you become older. Uh, these themes, you know, they struck an emotional chord, you know, and, and people have the, the sense of connection that many fans, you know, yearn for. And with, you know, like a return time and time again, these bonds grow and you know it's, it's awesome to see characters grow and learn and transform before our eyes it's it's what I come back for time and time again and it's why I like a film franchise it's why I like a long tv series and the Fast and the Furious cinematic universe it's also just a lot of fun from you know the charismatic performances to the witty one-liners and the exhilarating set pieces these uh you know they embrace their own brand of over over. over the top action. The joy and spectacle of providing a thrill That just keeps fans coming back for more uh, You know, and I said it in my review of Twilight Which was a written review You can find it on the thenerdreview.ca uh, It's the same that's true for The Fast and the Furious and, and, you know, it's a world filled with stress and challenges The importance of escapism can be overrated uh, Overstated, actually, that is The Fast and the Furious franchise offers a much needed respite sometimes from realities of life allowing you know to immerse yourself in thrilling adventures and simply having that fun these movies serve as a reminder uh, that transformative power of entertainment and bringing people together and igniting a sense of childhood wonder can still be achieved. And I think that's one of the best things and the huge power that movies have on audiences and people around the world. And it brings us here to talk about movies and to interact with people all over the world. And I think that's, that's amazing. And it's something that I really enjoy about doing the podcast. And that concludes Another exciting episode of the Nerd Review Podcast. This has been the Nerd Review of Fast and the Furious Franchise Part 2. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the realms of geekdom and Fast and Furious cars and all of this crazy stuff from dissecting the latest releases to revisiting those beloved classics. It's been a blast sharing my nerdy perspective with you. Uh, I want to express my sincere gratitude for. Joining me on this nerdy journey. Uh, remember to keep the conversation going by connecting with the nerd on social media. You can find me on Instagram at the nerd, un- the nerd review underscore podcast and on Twitter at the nerd underscore review. Feel free to drop a comment or share your thoughts about an episode, make a suggestion, make a recommendation for an episode. I'm always excited to hear from the audience. And be sure to check out the nerdreview.ca for more episodes and other content articles written reviews and video episodes and be sure to stay tuned for more epic reviews and geeky discussions until next time fellow nerds keep embracing your passion stay curious and may your nerdy adventures be nothing short of extraordinary stay nerdy and may your nerdom thrive with further ado this is the nerd signing off